Hello and welcome everyone to the Habs World Podcast. I'm your host, Norm Sarek. I have a full slate of co-hosts up with me tonight. Uh, first up, Paul McLeod. How are you, Paul? Oh, I'm great, Norm. Just eager to get back at talking with some Habs with you guys. Yeah, definitely. For sure. It's been just over a month, I guess, huh? Yeah. Uh, so next up, uh, Sean K. White. How are you, Sean? Great. I'm uh, ready to plan the Stanley Cup parade after uh, planning the tank parade. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. Uh, I'm going to introduce first Jonathan Rebello. Jonathan, go ahead. <laughs> well, that was perfectly uh, summed up by Sean there. The fickle, we're fickle, us Canadians fans. Lots of highs <laughs> and lots of lows, but I'll just say, you know, the Habs are middle of the pack. Probably about 16th out of 32, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's right. They are. Uh, oh, and before I we get too far underway, I got to mention we're recording this evening of Thursday, November tenth, twenty twenty two, and this is episode number ninety three. So we might as well slam a door and have some glass shatter, just like Dougie Gilmore. Ah, yes. No doubt you were beaming about this one. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, you know that's he's a good Kingston boy. Obviously, he scored a cup winning goal. He actually scored uh, the only cup cup winning goal uh, ever in Montreal, not for the Canadians, and that was uh, for the Calgary Flames in '89. And he uh, did play for the Habs, obviously, for a period of time, and was part of uh, one of the most famous games in Carolina Hurricanes history. They call it the Molson Center meltdown when Montreal blew uh, the lead in that game, where he slammed uh, he slammed the penalty box door and uh, yeah. there. I was not in the building for that game. I was uh, crying in, on my couch. Yeah. Uh, oh, what was, was he the, so the mustard suit game? Pardon me. Was that the the game? Uh, Terry was wearing the famous mustard colored suit. Um. No, I think that I think the mustard suit was the throat slash game with Sednik, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I have to watch the replay. Wasn't it Lanny McDonald who scored the cup winning goal for the for the Flames? No, not, no, mm-hmm. that's incorrect. It was Doug Gilmore. Okay. Maybe he got the last goal in that game. Maybe. It was pretty infamous anyway. What did Gilmore, uh, why was he so pissed off that he slammed the door and caused that glass to crack? I mean, other than I just don't think he was happy. With, I don't think he was happy with the penalty, but uh, I think that was something. I don't think it was anything too crazy. And I don't think he really slammed the door hard. I think it was just one of those weird things, you know, the tempered glass. And, uh, it slammed and it hit something and exploded. That's not the worst penalty game against the Carolina Hurricanes that the Habs have had. Like that. No, you're correct. That's <laughs> good to bring that up, John. I, I do remember that. It was like right around Christmas time one year, and uh, the Canadians played the Hurricanes, and they, it was actually a pretty close game score-wise, like 3-2 or something like that for the Hurricanes. But it's the only time I think I've ever seen this in the NHL, and I think Montreal had 14 consecutive minor penalties in the game. <laughs> to none, to none for that was a Chris Lee game. It was Chris oh, yes. Lee. Um, actually, I think it was Francis LeCurier. Really? I think is who that game was. Maybe, it was, but maybe really? it was Christmas. Maybe it was the two of them. Well, going back to a more recent event, who was refereeing in Detroit? Because it was what seven penalties for Montreal, and that was ugly. Oh, yeah, I don't recall now. I was at the game, and I remember seeing their names up on the scoreboard there before the game got underway. In that, but uh, I didn't pay attention. It wasn't a referee that I recognized. David Savard almost had a Gilmore moment there too. He was uh, oh. livid. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I thought he was gonna crack the uh, the ref like the glass there. <laughs> yeah, like uh, something along the lines of a like a, or some other type of infraction to get him some other kind of suspension or something. I, yeah, I was that was a real shocker. Like we, I don't think we've ever seen David Savard uh, back that way with with the 
with this team. So yeah, really surprising. Jeez. But talking uh, about a guy that's really played well though. Mm-hmm. This this season, David Savard, like really surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, he has played well. Yeah. I totally agree. Not well enough I, to the point where I'd be playing him in overtime, but you know that's uh, it's a different different uh, kettle of fish, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And you know, I was not one of his biggest fans last season. I thought it was, a, it looked like it was a terrible signing. And, and I guess now it's more a matter of, he was just not adopting to whatever Ducharme crazed system that they tried to instill in the team. And, and most of the players didn't really adapt to it either. which led to the whole team. Cole downfall, Caulfield but... really liked it though. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, yeah. it's crazy. Last year, most, most fans would have been happy if we were able to dump six of our contract for a bag of used pucks. Um, mm. So he's, but he, he's really, really uh, taken a step forward. I, you know, I couldn't imagine if you told me at the beginning of the season that you have David Savard and Caden Gooley as your first pair and they weren't just surviving, but thriving, I'd say you were crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I understand what you're you're saying there, Paul, and there's a lot of good praise for Savard, who has played pretty well to start the season. Yeah. Uh, but I'd still love to see him trade, um, just because I really don't want to see a situation where we see any of Jack I, um, Gooley, or Harris out of the lineup. And I feel like that's something that's just inevitable at this yeah. point. Once well, I'm, I'm impressed, back. though, that they are actually sitting wide most of the time rather than one of the rookies. Me too. That, that wouldn't have been the case uh, two, three years ago. That's for sure. No. Not under a, a, a Duchamp or a, any Bergevin team for that matter, right? Yeah, no chance. Maybe he kept Jack Eye up because he, he loves big dudes, but uh, there's no way Caden Gooley would get that many minutes. Or Harris. Harris wasn't even going to sign probably in Montreal if Belgevin was still there. Yeah, and Harris is incredible as well. Um, it's it's mind-boggling to me that Harrison Gooley are both rookies. Um, I'd say Jack I makes more uh, rookie style mistakes, positioning, holding onto the puck a little bit too long, trying to do that weird spinorama play behind the net that he likes to do. But Harrison and Gooley are geez, they, they look like they've each played two hundred games in the NHL. Yeah, well, part of that, John, is you remember Harris played four years of university hockey, and Gooley was captain of Team Canada at the World Juniors, right? Whereas last season, Jack and I split it between, uh, well, not last season, but the season before he got signed with the Canadians, he was at, he was lifting boxes at Costco, not playing hockey. So he's mm-hmm. only had one real season of junior, and he was yeah. uh, he was a walk on and he was a walk on for that team. It was a Kitchener Kitchener Rangers. He was a walk on. Yep. So I mean, he hasn't played anywhere near the amount of hockey the other two have. Fair, fair. Yeah, you're right. I was just reading a little more about that uh, this week, too, and I was kind of surprised to hear that he hasn't played defense that long either. Like, overall, I guess he'd been more of a forward for most of his uh, young career. So it, it kind of makes sense, and I, yeah, I agree, Jonathan. I mean, he still makes some rookie mistakes, but at this point, I can accept them. I know he's going to grow into it, and um, oh, what was there? It was an interesting stat that came up during the last night's game against Vancouver they interviewed him on Sportsnet in between periods and he and one of the, the reporter or uh, said something along the lines of he had the highest number of shots on goal in five on five situations among the defense Habs defensemen 
Yeah, I think he was third on the team after Suzuki and Kalki. Yeah, and he yeah, wasn't yeah. aware of it. I, I, I like that stat a lot. Um, I, I I actually um, cool. um yeah. So I think uh, I think uh, Jack. I I really do have uh, you know a minor minor fantasy about him turning into a Sheldon Surrey type. Uh, I think he's great at getting pucks through, um, and I think he has a hell of a shot. Um, I'm not sure he's been able to get it off too often. His slap shot, anyways, but I, I think he's going to be an asset on the power play, and I hope uh, that uh, St. Louis sticks him on the power play. I know that Sean doesn't necessarily feel the same way as me about that, but I'd like to see him get uh, a significant opportunity on the power play. Well, you know, uh, it's an interesting comparison because I think it took Surrey a long time to to be that type of player too, right? To like he, I don't think he was a big power play specialist in junior, if I remember. No, and he like, wasn't. He, he took a long Jersey time. And, no, not in the league. Exactly. And in the AHL. So uh, you, you never know. I mean, a, a guy that size, I mean, Sheldon Surrey, I don't know. I mean, the technique was there too, but uh, he was just a monster of a man, right? Another guy that you wouldn't want to drop the gloves against, although I think Arbor <laughs> looks for it a little more than uh, Sheldon. But uh, you, you just never know. I mean, the progression at this point has been uh, – incredible for Arbor. So maybe he just keeps on that, you know, that course and it happens. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that there's going to be a, as they would say, a regression to the mean for the young defense and things are going to get ugly, but you know, I, I, maybe it won't happen, but I, if, if I'd be less surprised at, at Jack, I continuing to develop than I would at Savard being able to keep up this level of play for an entire season, especially when he's leading the league or near the league lead in block shots. Right. Yeah, that has been impressive from Savard's uh, side of it. And let's hope he can keep that up. And we're going to see a little bit more of that taken away in terms of Edmondson's uh, play, though, too, because he's usually a pretty uh, big shot blocker. Uh, so we're. Okay. what do you guys think about – we've kind of talked about a few of the, those rookies. How about the other two Habs rookies that we haven't – Touched on yet, Slavkovsky and uh, Kovacevic. Well, I'll talk about I'll talk about Slavkovsky a little bit. Say, uh, you know, it's nice to see him scoring some goals, and um, his shot on the power play there was pretty spectacular. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think I think there's some some excitement to be had with him, and obviously he's now played his tenth game, so he will be uh, he'll be with the team, I would imagine, for most of the year. I could still see, you know, if he struggles a little bit, him having a little stint in the AHL is uh, I think with uh, within reason or possibility depending on how the Canadian season is going and how his season's progressing. He also uh, got uh, suspended for a couple games, which uh, I thought was kind of a little bit of bullshit because I think he took a similar hit, uh, you know, but with, with the last week, right. Exactly in the exact same spot, just kind of an unfortunate thing. And it looked like the, the Red Wings player kind of whiffed on the puck and put himself in a weird position. And Slavkovsky gave him a little bump, but he got hurt and uh, Slavkovsky pays the price. Well, yeah, the thing about that is, you know, I heard the, in, in the game, I heard the, uh, the announcers say that they thought, one of them said he thought they thought Slavkovsky's uh, hit was worse than uh, Josh Anderson's, which I didn't think was the case at all. But, of course, those same announcers also thought that Brandon Gallagher should get a double minor when he got attacked by Demko and Jackman uh, Larson. But I digress. But uh, I thought... I thought that um, 
Josh Anderson really skated full speed into Peter Angelo and just pasted him. I thought that was a suspension worthy play, but Slavkowski actually seemed to slow down and just, I think it's just a matter of, he doesn't quite understand exactly how big and strong he is and how vulnerable that player with his back completely to the boards was, but you know, I, I don't know. I think it, I, I don't know why Marco Rossi skated without anything. If that's I, the NHL continually, uh, you know, doles out punishment based on results rather than what actually happened. You know, Peter Angelo bounced up, so Anderson didn't get more. Slavskovsky wasn't hurt, so Rossi didn't get penalized. Luft uh, apparently broke his wrist and he's out for a couple months. Slavkovsky is suspended. That's a stupid way to, to run a, a player safety uh, office. Yeah, it's never uh, it's never consistent. I mean, I didn't see anything uh, malicious at all in that hit. Uh, I get the suspension right. It was not it wasn't a good position for Luff to be in, and Lovkowski shouldn't have hit him. But I don't like you said, uh, Paul uh, Anderson was <laughs> skating quite fast when he was going after Peter Angelo, and I think it was completely different. But yeah, Peter Angelo, especially a star player like that, was out 12, 10 to twelve weeks instead of Luff. Uh, I think, you know, Anderson might get five to 10 games because, you know, that's how inconsistent it is, regardless of how the hit looks, right? But in terms of how Slavkovsky has looked this year, I mean, I I really like him. I mean, I, uh, he needs to obviously work on a few things, but I mean, I think it's been night and day since the beginning of the season in terms of positioning and implicating himself. It almost like took that, uh, that game against the Blues, against big boys to get him more physical and fighting for pucks more. And I think that really kind of opened up his game a little. Uh, I was calling for him to go on. I mean, beginning of the season, he was not playing power play at all. And I was just like, how, how can you not? Like, he's one of the, in my opinion, makes some of the best passes on the team other than, you know, that first line. And uh, like tape to tape passes out of the zone. And he's in, unfortunately, at least he's getting a lot more time on ice than Shane Wright is. You know, I, I don't find Evans having the greatest season. So it's kind of not, not great five on five for Slavkovsky, but hopefully he can uh, pot a few points on the, on the power play now. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm liking Slavkovsky's play overall. I think he's had some ups and downs. Uh, the suspension, the hit and the suspension were unfortunate, but uh, I'll disagree with, I guess, Jonathan, I think it was on that one when the comparison to the Rossi hit, because I, I had to go back and relook at that because, of course, Twitter is great for people pulling up that video. And Rossi hit uh, Slavkovsky a little bit more unaware, but he hit him shoulder to shoulder off to the side. And it and it resulted in him going into the boards sort of head first, which is where the similarities then come in. But I it wasn't as, as bad of a hit. It's just but it made me wonder, too. I wonder if Slavkovsky you know, took a, a lesson, a bit of a bad lesson, I guess, in a way from that incident where it happened to him, where he then thought, well, you know, this is the NHL and everybody plays tough. So I guess I got to play tough when that comes up and decided to dish it out to the Red Wings players. So it's, it's unfortunate, but uh, it's a learning curve for the guy. It's he's, he's going to, I think the Habs are handling him pretty well though, in terms of uh, the development side of things, like they're getting him some time, they're giving him, not too much time and not too much responsibility and the occasional power play. Great. Um, you know, jumbling around the lines a little bit because all, almost all the lines except the top one have really been 
uh, inconsistent. So I'm, I'm fine with that too. Um, oh, and, and before we close, I wanted to get a couple thoughts about Kovacevic since he's, uh, he's technically a rookie. He doesn't seem like it because they picked him up so late into the uh, uh, exhibition season, but uh, thoughts on him? I thought he's been excellent, far better than I thought he would be. Uh, I don't know what's up with Winnipeg and, and the, the defensemen that they, they are I, like, I guess it's working for them. They're first in their division right now, but I, I don't understand why they have Hanola in the, in the AHL and they waived Kovacevic and then they have some of the guys they have on the ice in Winnipeg. But uh, I thought he, I thought he's been great. Um, you know, you don't notice him all that much all the time, but the biggest thing about all the rookies, and I don't know if it's just talent inclination or coaching or a combination, but they all seem to have really good first pass. One of the big things, especially with a rookie defense, is they're getting the puck out of the zone quickly. So that's really, uh, I think, a key to their success. They're not, when they get stuck and they get, they get cycled, like in that first Detroit game, it's not pretty, but that hasn't happened very often, even against Vegas. And yeah, it's, it's really great to see the progression of the young D, including him. Great pickup by, uh, by Horton. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I agree. I mean, uh, just a really solid bottom pairing guy. That's not going to really make a lot of mistakes. He's playing almost 18 minutes a game. And when you don't notice him on the ice, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. That's exactly what you want. Uh, he, might be uh, the victim of uh, Matheson coming back. You know, he might be the one that's that's the odd man out. Uh, we'll see. And I'd rather him, honestly, than any of the other rookies, the way they're playing. But uh, like, no complaints with him now. And he's probably the type of guy that doesn't hurt him if he does go in the press box for a handful of games and goes back in the lineup and stuff. Now, I'm completely indifferent on him. I, I for sure hope he's the guy that comes out of the lineup when uh, there's more guys healthy. Okay, fair enough. I, I think he helps the team, doesn't hurt the team, and he's versatile enough to take a seat when that time comes. And, of course, there's always going to be injuries as, as the season wears these guys down. So uh, I have a feeling he – I don't think they're going to have to make a decision to put him on waivers or move him or anything like that. So I, I think he'll he'll be around, but he's kind of like that sixth, seventh guy at the moment – so I'm, I'm, I'm well, a little surprised, but con- very content, I guess, is how I'll put it. So in terms of surprises, too, I'm going to let that segue into the uh, next topic I wanted to bring up, which was the audition for the Habs top line seems to, uh, for the last winger spot between Caulfield and Suzuki, now definitely seems to be filled, if unless somebody's got a disagreement. But Kirby Dock has just been on fire lately and man so happy to see uh him really fit in there um paul how about your thoughts on on how this line is really gelled lately oh uh it's been fantastic the way that they you know he's filled in there and the he he's almost he's it's almost like him and suzuki are are sometimes alternating positions or they're both playing kind of hybrid thing because um you know doc's doing more um you know, more zone entries and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I just, uh, you know, I wasn't happy when the trade was made. I'll admit it. I was angry. I was cursing at the television in my living room and acting like a crazy person. But in, in retrospect and in hindsight, it was, it was a perfect move uh, by the organization. Uh, 
I'm shocked by the hands of Doc and his passing. And last night he was even throwing the body around a little bit, which was even more surprising. I think he's perfect up there. The only problem is you also need him to be the number two center. So we need a clone of, of uh, you know, we need, we need a clone of Doc to be a real competitor. I'm just, yeah, it just popped into my mind that if, if Ryan O'Reilly was a couple of years younger, um, Montreal might being on that sweepstakes. They got him in the OHL anyways, Ryan O'Reilly. They got uh, Owen Beck, so it's fine. <laughs> True. Um, I mean, to me, the thing with Doc was uh, when you're picked in the top three, there's clearly uh, there's clearly talent there. And for some reason, it wasn't working out in Chicago. And I I don't know if it was opportunity and such. I know he had played with Kane and stuff, but like consistently like this, uh, who knows? But uh, now he's, you know, he seems to be a fit. I don't know if he's a winger long-term. He definitely needs to work on a shot. He doesn't have much of a shot. Uh, like he's not going to score from a distance of Mr. Top Corner, I don't think. But uh, he's using his size effectively for a guy that doesn't hit. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a... a, a the confidence needed to be built and they're, they're, they're doing that. And Marty St. Louis seems to be doing that with all the rookies, giving them opportunities and building that confidence and it's paying dividends. I mean, uh, I'm the opposite spectrum of Paul that I was really excited when that trade happened because I was like, I mean, with the, the depth that they had, look at now we see already that uh, Romanov would have been the odd man out anyways, because I don't think he's much better. He's not better than Gouli. And uh, I don't think he was better than Matheson. So, you know, he, moving him for a, for a position of need uh, was, was always going to probably work out in, in a hassle far. What about you, um, Norm? Oh, well, yeah. Super pleased that he's gelled in, in with those two guys and he's taken advantage of the situation. Uh, I mean, at one point they've, they've moved a lot of wingers around and they moved Sean Monahan in there at, for a few games too. And times he had looked okay, but uh, I'm quite happy with them getting something together that way and having a dynamic trio for a change. So I, it, yeah, that hole is still there. They, but we all knew that they had a, a depth issue at center anyway. You know, I think that's just going to be the case for this season and we'll see what happens next season in terms of, where they are, how they can improve that, whether from within from young players or or something else. I, I, I don't know how that'll uh, work itself out, but, you know, we all knew this was a rebuilding season, so I'm, I'm willing to accept that. And it's just positive to see that he's, he's playing well overall, you know, considering his last uh, couple of seasons in Chicago were not, not that great, and he had some injuries and a number of other things, so... Yeah, I'm pretty pretty good with it. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm happy with it as well. I, I definitely would prefer him to be playing center because I know that's obviously the way they made the trade. Um, and I still think that might happen before the end of the year because I still think um, I still think they're going to try to get Slavkovsky playing with Caulfield and Suzuki. I think that will be a plan at some point um, to at least try that out. Um, but I do like what Sean said about Owen Beck as well. I've, I've said it earlier on in this pod or in previous podcasts that I do think he's going to be the best pick of the entire draft the Canadians had in Montreal. 
uh, this summer. I, I think Owen Beck's going to be a spectacular NHL centerman. Um, uh, Kirby, Kirby is exactly so far what I thought he could be an incredibly skilled player that protects the puck incredibly well. We know he's not, like Sean said, not going to get physically involved by hitting people, but he, um, he offers a very different dynamic to um, that line. Um, Caulfield and Suzuki, who I would say are more so players who are going to burn you off the rush. Um, and, and Doc can keep up with them enough, but once they're in the zone, he becomes a significant asset to both win puck battles on the boards and protect the puck for long cycles and, and, and deep shifts to wear the other team out. So uh, I'm ecstatic with Kirby Doc, and he's everything I thought he would be when they made the trade. And I, like Sean, you know, was very happy when that trade was made. So, um, yep, I'm happy. Okay. And Norm, you had, you had asked us uh, at the beginning of the year what would be a successful season for Doc, and you and I both said... 0.5 points per game. You know, a 40 point season would be really good, a good step forward. And he's already at 12 and 14 games. So he's well on his way. I mean, I don't know if this is going to continue. Uh, if he plays with the, those two, you never know. But certainly, uh, so he must be on, he's like on pace for like 70 points. Oh, yeah. Good point, Sean. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, guys. So we focus a little more on the rookies, which is natural because, of course, we've all been pretty excited to see them play. And been looking forward to some of them getting going too before the season started. But uh, I'd like uh, each of you guys to talk a little bit about some of the veterans perhaps now. Um, and by that, I mean, like, you want to talk about somebody who's uh, excited you or disappointed you or both. Um, pick anybody you like and let's dive in. Um, Jonathan, I'll go with you first. Um, okay, I'll go, with, uh, I'll go with Jake Allen. I'm surprised he's not injured yet. Um, <laughs> just cause, you know, as a starter, he's, uh, he's struggled with that in the past. So that's impressed me. Um, I'd say it's, uh, kind of tough to watch, uh, like to do the other side of the coin, a little bit tough to watch Gallagher play. Um, uh, I would say he's struggling quite a bit and you can really tell that, uh, you know, his body is definitely not performing the way he wants it to. However, I would still say slightly better than last year overall, um, also, his line is, uh, you know, the guys he's been playing with, it's been a little challenging as well. So I'd say, you know, Gallagher, especially knowing how many years he has left on that contract, um, challenging to watch. And uh, Jake Allen uh, has been spectacular, obviously. Uh, he's, uh, he's having the Bell Center crowd chant his name, which is pretty cool. Um, so that'll be where uh, I leave that off. All right. I, I need to follow up. I'm not sure we're watching the same Gallagher, uh, Jonathan. Um, he's been night and day since last season. Um, the only thing that hasn't changed, he doesn't have a very great shot, but he's, uh, you know, just those two. You might have thought that, you know, when he shoots off um, a goaltender and the puck deflects to Hoffman for a goal, that's a fluke. But then it happens again exactly the same way. It wasn't a fluke. He did it on purpose. I think Gallagher is going to start scoring a bit more. I think that for the next couple of seasons, at least his leadership and uh, lead by example is going to really help the Canadians. And uh, I also see that uh, St. Louis has is actually, you know, trying to train him into doing those kind of shots instead of just always going to the front of the net and getting the crap beat out of him. But other veterans, um, I was really hoping Julian would, uh, would, uh, you know, make some sort of, uh, return to form or at least reasonable form. I had high hopes that, you know, that Dadenoff might uh, 
actually return a, a reasonable uh, draft pick, but uh, they've been wretched. Um, Hoffman seems to be picking it up. I was pre- I'm pleasantly surprised with, by Sean Monaghan. I thought he's played really, really well, particularly with Doc. Um, not quite sure why they broke that pair up. But, yeah, I'm, I'm overall very happy with the veterans and the rookies. Well, uh, Paul picked every veteran, so I don't know who I have else to pick. So uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, someone that, uh, well, we already talked about Savard, uh, you know, what you know, what season he's having. Uh, I think as a mentor, it seems to be really sticking out. But the one that that pops out to me uh, is Sean Monahan as well as the fourth in uh, team scoring. And, you know, he was just throwing. Calgary was just getting rid of him. Now Calgary's having a bad time with uh, offense and with their team. So uh, maybe they're, I don't know, necessarily regretting that because Kadri's doing well, but uh, he, he's been a, a, a great addition. And the people that have been disappointing me the most, I mean, I mentioned him earlier, but uh, Jake Evans, I don't think he's been having a great season. You know, I, I, I thought he had like third line center potential when I was seeing him before. I don't know if it's the injuries have caught up to him, but he just doesn't really offer much in my mind that and all it's just been dreadful you know someone that you would think you can get an asset for at the deadline with the expiring contract and everything but they're even playing on on the penalty kill and it's just it's 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 not fun to watch (laughs) i'll just say that yeah i don't get the penalty kill thing though like uh, like if you're gonna have dad not playing special teams shouldn't he be on the power play yes yeah i mean I, i i don't get it either i mean maybe it's uh Thinking uh, if any Ford's going to get a puck off the ankle, you hope it's him as opposed to anyone else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of perplexing. Well, Hoffman's been killing penalties as well, which I thought was odd. I actually saw some post about Hoffman saying that he is, in terms of the fancy stats and um, uh, analytics, he is the best Montreal Canadiens player. Um, do you know how many five on five goals have been scored on the Canadians with Hoffman on the ice this year? No. Well, the answer would be zero. Wow. Really? Well, so there was zero so goals he was providing until the, greatest, like the other he's day. He's the greatest defensive uh, player in the NHL. Wow. I guess his previous rep is was totally unwarranted then. Yeah, the, him on the penalty killing really made me scratch my head when I first saw that too. <laughs> but uh, I, St. Louis sees something there and maybe it's the fancy stats. So that's fine. If it's working, I'm not, I'm good with them not changing it. Uh, I'd love okay. to see Hoffman score about 10 goals in the month of, in the month of December and get traded. It'd be beautiful. <laughs> sure. Sure. They had a lot of Twitter was blowing up when he got those two goals. So uh, he would have been my first player. I would have stated before that game in terms of uh, being a disappointment, but he's, he has uh it's taken a it's taken a while, but he's he's definitely doing better now. So I I can't use that. So well, yeah, Dadnoff is an obvious one too. I mean, that guy for the two games that I saw, the one in Montreal there on uh, against Vegas, and then the Detroit one, man, he just looked so lost. I was trying to pay attention to him just to see if there was something I could take out of that in his game, and and it just it's almost like he just either he doesn't understand how to play in this and I use air quote system or style or whatever you want to call it uh, wizardry that St. Louis is, is imparting on the team, but he, he just, he's lost is, is the only way I can put it. 
So, uh, I mean, I know it, the trade itself wasn't that big of a deal. It's kind of disappointing that way, but okay. For surprises uh, on the positive side, though, I'll go with Sam uh, Montembeau because I, I mean, I dubbed the guy Montembeau last season and I thought it fit, <laughs> but this season he's turned it around. He's playing much, much better. I'm quite impressed with him. And now he's like looking like a legitimate NHLer. Yep. In Montreal, goaltending always seems to find a way. No matter what they throw at the wall, it always seems to stick. So maybe Sammy Boy will turn himself into um, a quality backup. Yeah, so we can hope, and think like you were saying in a previous podcast, it's pretty likely Allen's going to go down at some point with an injury. So I'm at least I feel a little more confident now with uh, with the way Sammy's been playing. <laughs> that happens. Okay, um, so let's talk a little bit about prospects because there's been a whole lot of freaking good news to great lo- news level uh, info coming out for some of their. Uh, their picks from this last draft. I mean, you guys mentioned Owen Beck earlier. One of you guys did, I think, and he's been out pretty outstanding again, almost at a two point a game click. Lane Hudson's been playing super well. Philip Bichard has been playing well. Um, like even this other kid, uh, I had to look him up because I forgot and they drafted him in the seventh round. Oh shoot. No, I lost his name. Davidson, I think is his name. He, uh, He's doing well. He's uh, plays in the Western League. Now, he's an overager, so he's like, I guess he's 20 now. He'll be 21 when he wraps up his career, but I had to look him up, and he's got 19 points in 10 games. And he's uh, he's a face-off wizard like uh, Beck is, like the guy's kicking 60% in the dot. So, man, this whole draft is looking freaking amazing for the Habs right now. <laughs> yeah, Lane Hudson is the guy who every time you bring him up, I'm just going to gush over him. If he can somehow manage to become an NHL defenseman, like if he's good enough to play in the NHL, he's going to be amazing. Like he's not going to be good enough. He's he's either going to, you know, not be good enough to play in the NHL and just be, you know, some AHL guy or go to Europe and dominate, or he's going to be in the NHL and he's going to be incredible. Like I think those are the only two options. I do not see him making the NHL and being a, you know, a bottom pairing defenseman. I just don't think that's within his bailiwick. Yeah, and then if they keep uh, they keep drafting like this, it might just take one more draft and really get this team really going because it seems like reinforcements are coming. But yeah, Lane Hudson, you obviously the the points are there, but then you see clips where he's just dangling entire teams and the point doesn't come, and you're just like, I mean, it's absurd what he can do. It's it's absolutely absurd, and that's it. it, it honestly looks like he's playing against little kids out there. He looks smaller than everyone. Yeah. And it looks like he's. It looks like he's on fast forward, and they're or or they're all on slow motion. He, it's he's 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 um, night and day the best skater on the ice every single game he plays. And he's yeah. already grown two inches since he was drafted. Is that actually true? It is. Yeah. Jesus, the bone oh. boy's doing it. Nice. <laughs> that means at five nine, he's the same size as Jared Spurgeon, for example who's been in the NHL for 13 years as a smart, good skating defenseman. Corey Krug as well is about that size, right? So as long as they get more solid, I mean, it's, it's, it is a different NHL, uh, you know, and look at the Habs. They have the, the guys to pair them with, right? You put them with Gooley or Jack, I, I mean, you don't really need Lane Hudson to go battle in front of the net, right? It, it is a different NHL, but uh, Sean, you shared a, a great video earlier. I don't think uh, I, I didn't share it with um, with Paul and Norm, 
but I'll let them each have a guess and I'll give them a couple of clues. Um, Alexander Ovechkin was interviewed um, after a game or an inter- intermission, and uh, he was asked because Sidney Crosby um, um, had alluded to the fact that, you know, that people always talk about them playing against each other and they're, you know, so close in points and their careers have always been tied to each other. But if they played together and Alexander Ovechkin had his choice of who would be their third, their line mate, he selected a former Montreal Canadian. Would you guys like to each hazard a guess on who he picked? Oh, that's interesting. Um, oh, okay, I'll go first, uh, if you don't mind, Paul. Saku Koivu? Okay, you're incorrect. Um, Paul, you want to give it a whirl? Yeah, Lars Eller. Nope, Donald Bashir. Really? <laughs> yep. He said to make room for him. Really? <laughs> that, that is honestly what he said. And, I, and I, I said to Sean, actually, because I thought it was pretty funny, I said, even if that was the line, it'd probably go down as the greatest line in NHL history. Wow, maybe uh, I, maybe Donald uh, loaded up uh, Ovechkin's favorite vodka for him at the bar one night because I can't figure that one out at all. Well, that's no, what I, I was I saying. Was, I was like, I was if you want away. to, if you want a guy to, that's big and gives you space, you should have just picked his teammate Tom Wilson, who's just like ten times the player that Donald Brashear was, and could, almost as good of a fighter. But uh, yes, anyways, good, good, good for Donald, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, oh, um, oh, I wanted to get back to one point, just circle back to Lane Hudson for a second. Is anybody, as much as I like the kid, is anybody else concerned that he could end up being like another Victor Mete? Uh, no, because I don't think Victor ever showed that type of creativity, like creating something out of nothing. Victor was like a guy that can, could skate through the, like up the neutral zone and make a quick pass, but he wasn't dangling people and, and making high danger scoring chances by passing in the slot and holding on to the puck. You know, he was just a good, a solid defenseman that just did everything kind of well and just happened to skate really quickly. But I don't think he had any outstanding abilities. And then yeah, the, shot, the, shot, the shot was a joke too. I agree with Sean there. Victor Mente was a straight line speed guy. Like he could, he could blow by guys like in a straight line, but yeah, not, uh, not the, the agility and, uh, and, and skating prowess that Lane Hudson has it's, not in terms of uh, ability to move around but it's not even the skating well it is the skating to a point but it's the hockey sense Mete didn't have any or has very little whereas Hudson is off the chart smart that's the one one connecting uh, attribute that this management team is actively drafting for is high character high intelligence players they're looking for guys who already St. Louis says hockey sense can be improved but what they're trying to get is the guys who already have the best so they can improve on the best rather than, you know, working with trying to work with players who don't have good hockey sense. That's what it seems to me to be anyway. And I think it's going to work. It's a valid concern, Norm. I mean, it was a good question because I mean, he is small. I mean, in fact remains. Yeah. But I mean, if he was six feet tall, he was easily a top 15, top 10 pick. Right. So, and that's on talent alone and the the hockey sense, like uh, Paul mentioned. Was okay. same, same okay. as Caulfield. Caulfield, if Caulfield was three or even three or four inches taller, he never would have made it to 15. No, people would be guessing, was it because of Caulfield that Jack Hughes was scoring so much, right? I, I think, you know, if he was six feet tall, Caulfield, he's easily a top three pick in that draft. And that was a ridiculous draft. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, guys. I just saw some parallels there. I thought it was worth discussing. 
Okay, I'm oh, going to we'll, move we'll on. Know, we'll know in five or ten years. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But if if talking about we talked about Jack guy being on the power play earlier, I don't think he'll ever get there because by the time he's ready to be a power play guy for real, the team will hopefully have guys like Hudson, guys like Logan Mayu, and other prospects already there. That's going to be a hell of a dogfight for spots on the Canadians blue line in a couple of years. These guys all start panning out. That's if Logan Mayu is allowed to play in the NHL. Ah, uh, yes, but. The difference is that Canadians are under Hughes and Gordon are smart and the Bruins are stupid um, because they've had Mayu undergoing a, a rigorous program of, of diversity training and personality work and community service and regular meetings with people like Chantal McAbee with reports, regular reports from psychologists. That was a condition of them actually signing him to his entry level deal. So instead of trying to slip something past Bettman on a Friday afternoon while he's in Europe, the Canadians are going to have years of detailed evidence that may made a mistake and has been working to improve himself. Unlike Mitchell Miller, apparently. Yeah, that's, that's a nice segue into that topic because I, I was hoping we could talk a little about it. Yeah. To, to say the least, I was not uh, impressed at all that Boston, of course it's a team that I hate anyway, but just the fact that they try to make a maneuver like that and, and pick this guy and then backpedal afterwards. And it, just such a, just such an example of such a no class organization when they pull garbage like that. And, and I can't help but think that Cam Neely's fingerprints are all over this maneuver as well, to be honest with it, even though I've heard some comments back from the GM, Neely actually had to come forward and say something to the press as well. And his, his explanation about, well, we didn't look at, look into his background deep enough was pure hockey bullshit. I mean, I just can't, I can't buy any of that. <laughs> it's such a, such a garbage move and a garbage organization. I'm surprised we still haven't heard anything from Mitchell Miller, like this whole time. He's not like released a, you know, a video on Twitter or, you know, Instagram, obviously there's so many ways he could reach out and be an advocate for himself and he's not. And I wonder why that's the case. If he just, you know, if he still does have no remorse, that's, that's a possibility. Or maybe he's so incapable of uh, verbalizing, you know, how he feels because he's, you know, who knows, but I, I find that very peculiar because, you know, in today's day and age, you, you know, people uh, tend to advocate for themselves on the, all these social media platforms and you're still not heard from. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the end of Mitchell Miller in terms of his uh, hockey career. HL makes sense. Maybe they will take anyone. The thing is, remember when the Canadians drafted Mayu and we roasted them for how badly it was handled in the press and how when the organization was revamped, communications was one of the first to go. Um Mitch Miller, whoever his agent is, is getting really, really bad advice because long before they agreed to any contract, they should have had the, the agent should have been, if <laughs> to be cynical, if the kid isn't smart enough or self-aware enough to craft a proper apology and, you know, get it documented that he went and reached out and did this. And then the, the hockey signing comes like six months or, or a year after that, then, you know, this public relations storm doesn't happen. So I think possibly 
uh, Miller's getting really, really bad advice from his agent. But, you know, the more I'm, I'm a believer in, in, you know, second chances and the kid was 14, but it wasn't a, a one-time thing. It was, a, a, according to the letter from, from his victim, it was years and years of horrific abuse. Exactly. No, no real apology. So I'm not sad that, that he's continuing to be punished, but I, I think his agent should have done a better job of advocating on his behalf and, and coaching him and how to behave as a human being. The, the thing that got me the most, well, first of all, I mean, this is a kid that was drafted by Arizona and they decided to release him. So what the hell are the Bruins doing trying to get him? And second of all, what are the Bruins doing? Like th- they're rolling right now. Why would you create this distraction when they're, they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL and probably a, a cup favorite? And now you, you're forcing your veterans to have awkward interviews and answering questions for management that they had no part of. You see how uh, ticked off guys like Felino and Bergeron, they didn't hold back when they were interviewed. So now you're just like creating this awkward atmosphere that has nothing to do with them and creating some weird distraction that was just completely unnecessary for a team that was where, where they are right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I. I'll give I'll give those veterans some kudos for at least speaking their mind on that because it was that was the only positive thing I took out of that. Uh, I, I mean, Miller's just had is a person with like no character. I, I can't. What he did was practically unforgivable, and and I'm am all about second chances, but I just don't think the I just don't think it's deserved in this case at all. Speaking of unforgivable. How about the the latest uh, Ottawa Senators news? <laughs> Chris oh, go Neal? ahead. Chris Neal jersey retirement? Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Th- wow, he's, he played a thousand games. Congratulations. He was a fourth liner goon. That yeah, he didn't get suspended or anything, but and he was okay player. But I, that to me is embarrassing. I I mean, I, the whole concept concept of jersey retirements is it's kind of silly in my mind. It should really only be for the best of the best to say in the history of this team, no one can ever wear this number again. And you're putting him in that category. That is just, that is atrocious. And I mean, that's what side by side with Chris Phillips, which is another joke. I know they don't have a lot to cheer about in that town, but uh, you don't have to stoop that low. Alfredson. Okay. That's it. To me, uh, I don't know what you guys thought, but uh, I got me laughing. Yeah, what I would say about that is, you know, if, if I'm going to retire jerseys in Ottawa, I go Alfredson, uh, Heatley, Spezahosa would be the guys I'd be thinking of to retire jerseys, not Chris Neal. So, yeah, I also thought it was pretty embarrassing, but Sens fans will tell you, you know, uh, he's uh, only one of 58 players in the NHL to play a 1,000 games with just one team. So, um, I guess all those 58 guys should have their jerseys retired. But, yeah, to me, Chris Neal is just, uh, you know, I, I know he's a great community guy too, but. I, I do think it's a joke that his number should be retired. I would say like if the Sens had some type of ring of honor, wanted to do a Chris Neal night, you know, give away a bobblehead and uh, you know, something like that. And that would make more sense. But yeah, I would think that's pretty embarrassing. It'd be like uh, Montreal retiring uh, Shane Corson's Jersey or something like that. Benoit Brunet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Benoit Brunet won a cup though. True. You got to pick uh... somebody that didn't win a cup. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Chris Phillips got a cup-winning goal. Oh, yeah, that's on that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris Neal, that, that news was was a joke. It was nothing more than a joke. <laughs> I, 
I, I, I did laugh like, like you guys, but oh man, it's kind of embarrassing. If I was a okay. fan, I'd be embarrassed if that's, that's the level of the, of the bar to, uh, to, to announce something like a Jersey retirement. Nowhere to go but up in that front. But what about Ryan Reynolds being interested in, in being part of the Senators? Is the NHL smart enough to make it happen as a condition of, for the new owner who has the actual money? If I was Batman, I would say, you want to buy this, you have to give Reynolds a percentage. I, I mean, think that, Reynolds that's good has for the, game. the connections to put something together. Yeah, I think it's good for the game and good for the league and good for the Senators if that happens. But I assume the new owners have to foot the bill for the new arena. Like, I don't, I don't see what the, the deal is. Well, the, the deal is there's a whole big piece of real estate called Le Breton Flats. And the, the plan is to build housing and, and, and commercial space. So the idea is that the, the revenue from the, from, the, from the real estate development will pay for this, this stadium and eventually you know, make a lot of money for the investors and there is going to be some there will be some provincial and federal money in that stadium it's not going to be 100 percent team built no way oh sure some money i can understand i can also understand because it's the ottawa area of course the the politicians are all going to be sharpening their knives and dragging their feet and you know failing to get anything like that done when eugene melnick was still alive as much as he tried to get it done but it, it can still happen. I, I, I have no problem with somebody like Ryan Reynolds throwing his hat in the ring as a, as a partial uh, owner in, in an endeavor like that. It's, it's fine. I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer's uh, celebrity in a different, in a similar sense. I mean, and he's got ownership now in, oh, shoot, forgive me. Is it Seattle or Vegas? I can't remember. Vegas, I think. Oh, no, no, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. Okay. So, yeah, I've got no qualms with something like that probably helps support the the organization a little and it's less embarrassing than announcing a chris neal uh retirement uh, jersey so well i think that would be a positive one that would be huge promotionally for the league it would really up their profile if he starts you know appearing in hollywood with nhl jersey on kind of thing yeah yeah true better than i just uh, i just don't want any reason to like the sends at all because i hate them so, <laughs> fair enough reason. yeah <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, it's a, it's a step up from say celebrities going to LA Kings games after Gretzky arrived on the scene. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that way. Uh, okay. Any other hockey topics guys? We've covered quite a bit. Yeah, I got one. Um, you know, um, tonight um, Jack Eichel made his second return to Buffalo and um, he scored a third period hat trick en route to a Vegas Knights Buffalo uh, beating the Buffalo Sabres seven to four and then wave goodbye and blue kisses to the crowd. So I'm sure the, the fans in Buffalo love that. Although they look like it was a, quite a large contingent of uh, Vegas fans wearing Eichel jerseys in the crowd. They're uh, they're rolling as well. Eh? I mean, if, uh, if assuming they don't get any injuries, cause I think they're probably low in cap space, but uh, the golden Knights are for real. Oh, yeah, number one in the league right now, right? They've only lost uh, one or two games. Mm -hmm. And speaking of uh, a lot of goals and no points this time, though, is uh, the Hurricanes scored uh, seven goals against the Oilers today. And uh, Kakinyemi, again, held pointless. So he has three points in 14 games. What a disaster averted there. What a signing that was for the Hurricanes. So he's (laughs) he's on pace to make about a million bucks a point this year? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I guess, I think he's at, 
two or three points, three points. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a hefty price to pay <laughs> per point. For sure. Yeah, I, I was reading an article about that too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I said that's in Scott Gomez territory. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to add, I, I remember reading an article recently about that and, and he's playing on a line with uh, Martin Neckhash with who's like on fire this season. And I, so I can't figure out how he can, how uh, JK can't seem to get uh, a few extra points. I mean, man, that guy's struggling, but not, I'm not bitter anymore. Yeah, I think his line mates are like both over a point per game or something. And they must be scoring on the power play, obviously, but I mean, that's pretty embarrassing. You're at, really like scoring at like a 10 to 20 percent rate that's like important points per game i should say uh yeah. point, point one or point two but uh your line mates are over a point per game like how are you not how are you not just shooting and it goes off them and in like i don't understand it at this point it's just uh it's embarrassing wow. you know i don't wish the guy any ill but i as much as you dislike ottawa sean i hate carolina I despise them with every fiber of my being, almost as much as the Leafs. And Does that go back to the Hartford days, or is it just a Carolina no, thing? No, all Carolina. I didn't mind Hartford. The Canadians usually beat them like a drum. <laughs> but back to my point, which was, uh, yeah, I hope they. I, I hope it. I hope it continues, and the and the deal continues to look terrible because they. I didn't like the way they went out of their way to mock Montreal after that deal, but I'm glad they took them now. Yeah, that was pathetic. I mean, that was a clear revenge deal. They tried to say, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, you don't pay a player like that $6 million and give up a first-rounder for him. And then the mocking from the, their Twitter, which is, I don't know, I find NHL Twitter to be so childish sometimes, and they're like at the top of the, the pile for childishness. But uh, anyways. Yeah, you're uh, right. I usually find Twitter pretty highbrow. <laughs> yeah especially these days that's right yeah the author saul bellow said that you know in one of his novels about newspaper writer the, the pulitzer prize is for pullets it's for the birds so every time i think of twitter i think it must be for the twits <laughs> consider me one of them okay okay nothing personal just the discourse level in general yeah, I, I agree there. I, I lurk more than I post or tweet, I guess. How about Phil Kessel, of all people, setting the Ironman record at over a thousand games? Oh, right. Now, there's, a, there's a guy who probably deserves his jersey retired in Pittsburgh, I would imagine. And you know what? He's shaped like a Twinkie and he's about as invincible as one. So that's good for him. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That great analogy for sure there. But um, you know what you got to say about Phil is. Um, he is an incredible hockey player. Uh, he skates incredibly well and his shot is insane. And, uh, yet you sure you can say that he's, uh, you know, done his, done his best to avoid contact, but that's given him the career that he was looking for. He's, uh, he's in it for the business and he's also in it to win it because, uh, he's been a spectacular player in the playoffs as well. So, uh, props, props to Phil. And I think he's a deserving uh, Iron Man guy, and uh, I, I think he, he 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 wears the crown correctly. Okay, well, on the topic of Phil Kessel, since he's now in the record books in that sense, and since he's also won Stanley Cup now, or one or two, 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 two. Okay, so at the end of his career, do you th- foresee him going in the Hall of Fame? I would say no doubt about it. Definitely. 
definitely. I mean, he's a, he's, just, I mean, if he continues, he could, he'll hit a thousand points. He's at 962. And that's a, with that's, the, that's a guarantee. And then uh, the Ironman streak. And then the, I mean, I, to, in my opinion, he should have won the Con Smythe one of those years. I mean, he was absolutely yeah, electric. So that, that'll be the, that'll be the only downfall, right? He has, he has no individual trophies. Is that correct? He has a Bill Masterton. But, I mean, oh, so he's got one. Okay, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, how many I, how many consecutive years did he score twenty goals? Like twenty or like 10, 15 years in a row, twenty goals. From two thousand eight to twenty nineteen. Oh, it's pretty good. Twelve years, not bad. I was just reading an article about this very topic in the in the Athletic today, and there's what they were saying. They thought. Kessel was a borderline case to make it into the Hall of Fame. I think there's a lot of players in there who are not as not uh, accomplished as much as Phil, um, with, especially with the Ironman record and the number of points he's managed to score. The sad part, he, he won't get his jersey retired by any team because he's bounced around the league, but Chris Neal will. Yeah, good point. <laughs> you don't think you don't think a retires jersey in Pittsburgh? No, I don't think so. I mean, with the greats that they have, he only played four seasons there. I mean, yeah, he had an impact, but uh, you don't. Re- I mean, unless you're, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche and Brady Bork. I mean, that's another farce. But uh, I don't know. You, you never know. Maybe Toronto will do it, and maybe it'll be it'll be free hot dog night at the ACC, <laughs> sponsored by Steve Simmons. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's put a piece of work, Steve Simmons. Oh, good one. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's end on a high note there. I will thank you very much for joining me tonight on this podcast and look forward to uh, getting together for the next one. Go Habs, go. Thanks again. Nick Suzuki, top 10 in NHL scoring as of today. Incredible. Truly incredible. Amazing. Guys, my favorite point of the game last night was Caulfield. Five foot seven Caulfield smashing into six foot eight Tyler Myers and making him cough the puck, which led to Doc's second goal. Yeah, that was awesome. And then Gallagher sang post game. He taught him everything he knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good night, fellas. Good night. Good night, guys. Have a good night.